Pastor Xavier Reese revisits a prophecy of the ultimate sacrifice that was made on our behalf. One stood all of a sudden, a lamb, as though it had been slain. They declared the doxology with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, the lamb of God. Now the paradox is that the lamb is standing alive and ready to act in full authority. The tense is the past perfect, the fact of being slain, being dead, but now alive. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There are many in the world today that claim there are many paths that lead to God. Though that may sound inviting, Pastor Xavier says there's only one true God and only one path that leads to salvation. Today, as he continues his study in the book of Revelation, he brings us face-to-face with the simple and prophetic truths of the true Lamb of God in a message he's titled, Worship Jesus. Let's listen. Revelation chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14, and the message is entitled, Worship Jesus. Chapter 5 gives to us the vision of the scroll here in heaven that must be opened by the rightful Redeemer, marked by the threefold movement. First, we have the vision of the scroll and God in verse 1 through 4. Second comes the vision of the scroll and the Lamb, 5 through 7. And then thirdly, the vision of the scroll and the worship of the Lamb, 8 through 14. Notice in verse 1, the Apostle John saw God on his throne, sitting on his throne, a position that represents power and authority. He had in his right hand seven stars uh, of his mouth went for the sharp two-edged sword, we're told. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength in chapter 1, verse 16. Now notice the scroll has seven seals to be opened by the rifle heir able to meet the conditions of the particulars revealed in these seven seals. So in other words, certain conditions were put on there, and once you open the first seal, if you can meet all the conditions, then you can move on to the second seal, and so on and so forth, Okay. The Apostle John heard the inquiry of the one to open the scroll. The one he saw is described as a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. We don't know who he is. Some believe it's Gabriel. It could be. Gabriel has a big mouth. He's always sharing things. The proclamation is in the form of a question notice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? The answer is only he who can meet all the requirements. He who can lose or unfasten the seals, one only, as we're going to see Jesus Christ. In verse 3, no one was found within the complete scope of all in existence. Everything is included here. In heaven, no angel. In whatever rank or file they belong to. In earth, no one living. Under the earth, no fallen angel or demon in hell. No one, anywhere. The picture is of utter hopelessness. But again, this is from John's perspective. Notice secondly comes a movement of the vision of the scroll and the lamb, verse 5 through 7. Now notice the elder comforts John by saying, do not weep. Look at the throne, God's on it, and he's not biting his nails. The elder proclaimed the identity of the one who was worthy. Notice that. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who all the prophets spoke about, 
The lion represents the divine kingship of the Messiah here. The root of David, quoted from Isaiah 11:10, it says, There shall come from a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The dual prophecy given to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, of Solomon, the short-term fulfillment on the throne, long-term the Messiah, the genealogy through David in Matthew and in Luke, it's there. Notice the elder proclaims, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. Now verse 6, John, the apostle here, saw the solution of hope for the dilemma. John saw the one sacrificed for the sins of man. One stood all of a sudden, a lamb as though it had been slain. The lamb is now the focus of the heavenly scene. In the midst of the throne, everyone is beholding him, him alone. The four living creatures, the elders, all have their eyes on him. The apostle John cannot take his eyes off of him. Now the paradox is that the lamb is slain, is usually laying down. The lamb is standing alive and ready to act in full authority. Notice the word slain. Isaiah and Zechariah tell us that his wounds are on his body. Isaiah 53, 7, Zechariah 13, 6, when he returns. He has a glorified body. He is a God-man, sit at the right hand of God right now. At the first sight of Jesus, it's very possible we'll see him in his wounds. He told Thomas, put your hand here. Look at my hands. The wounds. The lamb came and approached the throne of the Father. And he took the scroll out of the right hand of the father who sat on the throne. The submissive role of the son to the father for the plan of redemption had been accomplished. He is the one worthy to enact the judgments of God and the redemption of everything and to set up the kingdom. He taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Listen to Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. He saw the same thing. Daniel foresaw this day. I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man is Jesus. The Ancient of Days is the Father. And they brought him near before him. Then he, him, was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him whose dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel was looking at the same thing we're seeing here, the very same audience that we're going to see. The Psalms tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until he makes his enemies a footstool, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. The authority from throne is passed to the one and only mediator to finalize the long-awaited plan of salvation history. Jesus Christ, no one, no one else. There are many people that present themselves as being very loving and benevolent in today's politically correct society. They cannot believe or accept that a God who would punish man for sins. They have shaped God in their own image, after their own likeness, corrupt. As Romans 1 says, when they knew God, they didn't want to glorify him as God, but they changed the, the image of God, four-footed beast, so on and so forth. There are others who cannot accept that Jesus is the only person that people must believe to get to heaven, the only one that can forgive their sins. Let me give you three verses that I always give you, just to clear up the air about this. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And that one statement destroyed every philosophy, every ism, every religion that will promise you heaven. There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. The only way, the only name, the only mediator. To me, the gospel is very simple, very clear, very dogmatic, very narrow. And these proclamations are out of love to redeem, to rescue, to forgive, to restore, not to condemn. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There are people who think they can um, work their way to heaven. People say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good moral person. I call them good moral pagans. And they say, you know, I, I don't, I've never stolen. I've never committed adultery. And I've never, you know, and they'll name all kinds of different things. And some of them may be true, but not all of them. Even though they haven't committed some of those things they've mentioned, there's others they have that they're not mentioning. See, we love to say, well, I've never done that. But why don't you tell me what you have done? But what are you talking about? We are sinners at heart, ladies and gentlemen. We are bad to the bone. We want for the grace of God. All have turned aside. Listen to Romans 3.12. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. God provided the only specific acceptable way for our sins. The sacrifice. It would be the seed of the woman born without the aid of a man that would crush the head, the authority of Satan in Genesis 3.12, the seed of the woman. That one that Isaiah 7.14, behold, a virgin shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. John the Baptist told his disciples, look, there's the Lamb of God pointing to Jesus Christ, John 1.29. Wow, every Jew knew Lamb of God, blood, hands, cutting, atonement, fellowship. Wow, he would become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What an amazing, amazing work of love. He was and is worthy to redeem lost man. Who? Jesus. Only Jesus. This is the vision of the scroll of the Lamb. Now you understand why they're worshiping him? <laughs> I understand why we're to be worshiping him. Not a pastor. Not a church. Notice thirdly. The third movement comes in 8 through 14. The vision of the scroll and the worship of the Lamb. Verse 8 through 10, the Lamb with the scroll is praised in a new song. The spontaneous worship of the Lamb is immediate. Look at verse 8. The response to the Lamb having taken the scroll was one of complete adoration. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb in chapter 4, uh, verse 8 through 10. These elders are probably representatives of the church. Others believe their combination, Old and New Testament. I give you both. The focus of worship goes from the throne of the Father to the Lamb. Mark that well. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Much of this is recorded in Psalms 33, 2, 98, 5. Um, some of the Psalms use these instruments to praise God. They're, they're written for that. We get our word guitar from that. Representing, notice, the prayers of the saints here. The prayer marks petitions as those in chapter 6 under the fifth seal for vengeance. Revelation 6, 10, and 8, 3 through 4. You see, the tribulation saints, they're praying for vengeance. You and I are praying for redemption. We're praying for people to get saved, okay? But those of the tribulation, they're praying, Lord, when are you going to whack them? All right? You don't put the church in the tribulation, okay? This is the model for the incense of altar 
in the Holy of Holies, as you know, in the Old Testament, a picture of heaven. God told Moses, make sure you make it exactly after the pattern. Book of Hebrews tells us why, because there are things of heaven, right? Both places. Now, an angel will take a censer in the seventh seal of chapter 8, 34, and cast it into the earth as judgment. Look at verse 9. The worship of the Lamb was for his redemptive work. This is what's in the scroll here. The song is new in quality, not time. The climax is in the three hymns addressed to both the Father and the Son. Verse 9, 12, and 13. Now notice the first two are to the Lamb, 9 and 12, and the last is to both the Lamb and the Father, verse 13. The theme is, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. You were slain, a historical fact, as the Paschal Lamb, Exodus 12, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, and many other passages. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Who can that be? Only the church. The word redeem, agarazo, it means to buy in the marketplace. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Peter 2.1, 2 and many other places. Agarazo is the marketplace. Jesus re- redeemed us, ex-agarazo, out of the marketplace. He's, he bought us out from sin. The token was his precious blood according to the law, Leviticus 17.11. I've given you the blood as an atonement for the altar. The life of the flesh is in the blood, an atonement for it. The identity is obvious. These can only identify one group of people. Who? The church. The worship of the Lamb was for the transforming work of the redeemed. He made us a kingdom of priests to our God. He told us that in Revelation 1.6. He'll tell us that in 5.10 also. It goes back to the Old Testament, Exodus 19.6. Israel was called his peculiar treasure, right? Peter says, now we are that. Now, don't confuse Israel with the church. That's called replacement theology. They make the church the new Israel. No. If you believe that, you get an F in the subject of Bible. The Old Testament wife, we're going to be studying Hosea pretty soon, the minor prophets, is the wife that's been put away by divorce for adultery. The church is a virgin bride, okay? Don't ever confuse them or make them one. One does not replace the other. God will redeem Israel again. Read the book of Revelation, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and many other passages. We shall reign on the earth for a thousand years with Jesus. The earth will be redeemed. Romans 8, 21 through 23. The creation groans for the return of Christ. All this smog, all this pollution, whatever else. He redeems both us and the earth. Now notice verse 11 and 12. The lamb with the scroll is worshiped and praised by the myriad of angels. In verse 11, the electrifying multitude of angels break out all at once. John looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, a whole bunch, (laughs) billions. Listen to Daniel 7.10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousands of thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The courts were seated and the books were opened, Daniel 7.10. Same scene. The scene is unparalleled in Scripture regarding the unrestrained praise 
Innumerable multitude is the idea. And this is the emphasis. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem of Hebrews 12.22. Can't wait for that day. Notice the eloquent worship is articulated. They declared the doxology with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, the lamb of God. Three times it is stated he was slain in the chapter. Verse 6, 9, and 12. This is the reason for being able to open the seal and execute judgment and finalize the kingdom. He's the worthy one. They praised him to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Lenski, the Greek scholar, points out the following. The first four are objective, power, riches, wisdom, and strength. The last three are subjective, honor, glory, and blessing. All ascribed to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, so on and so forth. All the Jesus Christ, him and him alone. Now notice in verse 13 and 14, the lamb with the scroll receives universal praise and worship. In 13, the acknowledged praise and worship of Jesus is depicted by oneness. Not the oneness of the world that's against him, but the oneness that he alone deserves the oneness is all-encompassing acknowledgement here. Every creature which is in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, every creature such as are in the sea and all that is in them. Why? He created everything. There's nothing that was made that is present that he did not make. The oneness is all-encompassing praise. John heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. Referring to God the Father as the creator in chapter 4. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the Lamb forever and ever, referring to the Son, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of man and the world, due to his faithfulness to God the Father. Revelation 7.10 tells us very clear. Notice the affirmation in verse 14 of the praise and worship of Jesus is confirmed by oneness again. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, so be it. He's the exalted lamb. He is the one to inaugurate the new age of salvation history. Notice in the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. He is the only one. We serve anybody, but we bow down only to one person. <laughs> we bow to no one. We serve everybody. Now John tells us repeatedly that the angels and elders around the throne fell on their faces and worshiped God. 4.10, 7.11. What else can you do? Now if that's the scene in heaven, shouldn't that be down here? Absolutely. The worship of Jesus is the theme of heaven. When um, Queen Victoria was, had just ascended to the throne and um, she went as her custom of royalty was, to hear the Messiah render, she had um, been instructed as to her conduct by those who knew and was told that she must not rise when others stood to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. When the magnificent chorus was being sung and the singers were shouting, Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God omnipotent reigns, she sat down with great difficulty, we are told. It seems as if she would rise in spite of the custom of kings and queens. But finally, when they came to that part of the chorus where with a loud proclamation was declared that Jesus was king of kings, suddenly 
The young queen rose and stood and bowed her head as she would take her crown off of her head and cast it to his feet. Rightly so. All that we never forget that regardless of who we are or what we possess or who we think we are or who other people tell us we are, that we always bow and worship to Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, may our praise and worship of Jesus ever be spontaneous and not orchestrated. Let the Lord deal with people's hearts. If it isn't spontaneous, if it isn't true from you, then it's, it's, it's worthless. Worship him for his work of redemption on my behalf, for his suffering on my behalf, for his love expressed in my life. Luke 2.13 says, The angels appeared to the shepherds, and the heavenly host appeared, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Oh, that our praises and worship never become formal, let alone entertaining as so much of that is in the church today. Much of worship is, is entertainment, and, it's, and they try to pass it off as worship. That God the Father and our angels be grieved at such a thing. That the world would say, look, they're like us. It seems that the church is always trying to compete with the world and be like the world. Why? The church is worldly today. Look around. It's not a matter of thinking you're better. It's a matter of comparing the world to the church of Jesus Christ, the scriptures. Peter, John, and others gathered to pray for boldness, and they worshiped God, Acts 4.23. The 31 said, Oh, that each of us may, when we hear the worship of God, whenever we gather Sunday evening, morning, or whenever, that we would affirm and confer the worthiness of worshiping him. That even as before we even get here, we've already spent time worshiping the Lord on our way here, praying, Lord, what are you going to do? Lord, how are you going to use me? Lord, there's somebody there that you want me to speak to. Is there something that you have for me? Lord, just bring my thoughts in captivity. That we prepare our hearts to come and not think it's like going to the show. You know, you do everything you want, then you get in the show. They all get there. No. Yeah. You are the church of Jesus Christ. I am one of you. The building is just the building. It's not the church. If the theme of heaven is the worship of Jesus, shouldn't it be the theme of the church? Absolutely. The book of Revelation is all about worshiping Jesus in heaven and on earth. They continue the temple daily, one accord, praising God. Acts 2, 46-47. Once again, Paul says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Philippians 2, 9-11. Right now it's by grace, by bowing your heart to him, repenting of your sin knowing that the wrath of God is upon you, but he loves you and he died for you. When he comes back, it's by force for judgment. You and I get to choose whether we bow by our own willful acknowledgement of our sinfulness or whether we will bow because he returns and he judges us. But we make that choice. This is the vision of the scroll in the worship of the Lamb. The vision of the scroll in heaven that must be opened by the rightful Redeemer is marked by these three movements. The vision of the scroll and God. The vision of the scroll and the Lamb. And the vision of the scroll and the worship of the Lamb. That group is you and I in heaven. 
Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that Jesus is the one and only rightful heir of the throne. Simple truths drawn from Revelation chapter 5 today. And you can request a copy of today's message, Worship Jesus. We're making it available on CD for just $4. And this will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Again, that title of today's message, Worship Jesus. Now, you can also request the entire series, This Message is Just One Part Of, The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation. We've put Pastor Xavier's series of Revelation, chapters 1 through 5, together in one album for only $27, or a single MP3 disc for just $10. Receive all 10 messages we featured on the air in one money-saving collection we're calling The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation on CD for $27, or a single MP3 disc for just $10. Receive yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com